Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is January 20, and our chapter is chapter 39. When we left chapter 38, we left Joseph in Egypt, having been sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, on their annual trek down from the Gilead down to northern Africa into Egypt. They would take their goods, and now they were taking a young slave, a Hebrew slave, and they sold him to Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He was the head of the secret service for the king. And Joseph is going to go on a ride that he will never forget. He's going to live a part of his life that we will read about and our children will read about because it is part of the great story of God. But before we get to that, I want to speak briefly about the digression of chapter 38. You see, when God is doing something in one part of the world, that doesn't mean he's silent everywhere else. He's continuing to work. And we have a sordid story of Judah who took a wife and had a couple of sons. One of his sons married a young lady by the name of Tamar. Now, Tamar is the word for date palm. Many that are named Tamara or Tamara, or Tammy is the shortened form of that. Anyone who has that word Tam, T-A-M, in their name, they are looked upon as beautiful, as majestic, like the date palm. That's a beautiful name for ancient times. That's a beautiful name for today. And many in Israel today, many Jewish ladies are named Tamara. And so this was his daughter-in-law's name. But the scripture says that his son was wicked before God, and God killed Judah's son. And so the tradition was for the brother who was left behind, who was single. When his brother died, he would take as his wife the widow and would carry her as his own and would raise up a son and name him after whoever the brother was that was deceased. And so this is what Judah ordered. But instead, the Bible says that he did not want to raise up a son, and he did an awful deed. It's recorded in the Bible. You can read about it in chapter 38. And he died as well. In other words, God didn't like that. And so Judah said to Tamar, his daughter, he said, to remain a widow in your father's house, and then when my youngest son is grown, then I'll give him to you. But that didn't work because it did not happen. And so Tamar knew exactly what was going on. And so she pretended that she was a prostitute sitting on the side of the road. Her face would have been covered. She had been totally veiled. She was in the dress of a prostitute. And Judah, on his way for business in another part of the country, she knew he would go that way that he did. And she set out in front of a place by the side of the road, and Judah had sex with her. 
and he gave her some of his closest and most guarded possessions to keep until he brought money back. Well, the fact is, when he sent money back to get those possessions, she didn't have it because she wasn't there. No, she knew what she was doing. She was pregnant. So Judah found out that Tamar was pregnant, and so he was going to have her stoned until she sent back uh, all of his personal possessions and said, the man who had sex with me and I became pregnant, these belong to him. He's the man. And it was Judah. And so the scripture says that from her was born a child, and that child was part of the Messianic line of Jesus. It's fascinating. Isn't it amazing that God can take our mess-ups and do something with them? That's right. When you look at the lineage of Jesus, you're going to find people, especially four women there, that were not those that would have been looked upon highly, and they were outsiders, or they had some kind of past that nobody wanted to deal with. They were harlots. They were playing the harlot. They were foreigners, and all of these kinds of things that were not kosher for the day. They were not the kind of things that you think about when you talk about the lineage of Messiah. And so this story ends at the end of chapter 38, but it doesn't end there because the Bible says in the Gospels that indeed Tamar was part of the lineage of Jesus, and so she is mentioned. It's just an interesting story, a sideline, a digression, but God put that in there so we'd know who Tamar is. You see, God sees all of that. So whether you're a male or female, man or woman, you have messed up and you say, well, I've made such a bad mistake, God will never use me again. God doesn't delight in your sin, but God delights in taking those whose hearts are true toward him and using them for his glory. And that's exactly what he did with Tamar. Now, Joseph, we pick up on the narrative. If you are reading through and you're reading the historical narrative, you would end with chapter 38. You would jump immediately to chapter 39 because that's when the story continues. We left Joseph in Potiphar's house. And sure enough, 39 and verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, I want you to notice a phrase here. You know this sordid story, how that Potiphar entrusted Joseph with everything that was in his hand. His wife, that is Potiphar's wife, had longing eyes for Joseph, and she was manipulative and conniving, and she worked it so they would be alone in spite of everything that Joseph did. She tried to get him to have sex with her. He would not, and he ran away, which he should have done. But she saw that he had left part of his garment, so she fabricated a tale, told a lie, and Joseph was accused before his master that had entrusted him with everything, and he was placed into prison. 
while he was in prison. Again, the warden said, oh, this is such a handsome young man. He is built so well. He's got such a beautiful face. He is so trustworthy. I'm going to put him over in the entire prison, and he did. Now, when we get to chapter 40, we're going to begin to read more of God's preparation about how God was preparing Joseph through this experience in prison, which we'll read about tomorrow in tomorrow's reading, to raise him up to be the prime minister of the greatest nation of that day, the prime minister of the land of Egypt, the nation of Egypt. I want us to go back and look throughout this story at something that we must get hold of because this will help us as we go through the entire Bible about how God works. This is so important. You see, these readings and these chapters are not just an exercise in spirituality and routine. Oh, I pray that God is already building a habit and a thirst in you for the Word of God, to read the Word of God every day. But I want you to understand that God speaks to us through His Word. The Bible is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's authoritative in our lives. The Scripture says in verse 2, And the Lord, notice Hashem, all capitals, the Tetragrammaton, four letters, the personal covenant name of God, 39.2, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Look down in verse 3. It says, and he saw, that is his master, that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, and it was so evident that even a heathen could see it, because he made everything that Joseph did prosper. Now Joseph, according to verse 6, now Joseph was a handsome man. He was handsome in form, that is, his body was shaped well, and he was built up, as we would say it, and he was handsome in appearance. This is what happened. Potiphar's wife began to long for Joseph as a young man. And so the scripture says that Joseph said to her, I cannot do this. My master has put everything in my hand. I cannot do this wickedness and sin against God. His heart was still with the God of his fathers. And when you look at verse 21, you have this same phrase that we saw in verse 2. The scripture says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now, I hope you notice this all the way through scripture. When God's hand is on someone, God grants them favor even with their enemies. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have enemies, and that doesn't mean that they won't try to kill you or and destroy you and cancel you out, but it does mean that there will be seasons of peace. Why? Because they have nothing to charge you with, because the Lord is the one that we need to please. And the scripture clearly says in this chapter over and over again, and this is all the way through the Bible that Joseph walked with God. The Lord was with him. 
And Potiphar saw the Lord was with him. Now he's in prison, and even in prison, the Lord is with him. You need to underline those verses. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now, the word for mercy there is not the ordinary word for mercy. There are two or three words that are translated, three words that are translated mercy. But this is a word that is translated 12 different ways in our English Bibles, 12 different ways, a dozen ways. It is a word that describes a character quality, a virtue that is the distinguishing mark that makes David a man after God's own heart. It is also the word that is used to describe God's love, God's loyalty, God's mercy, God's grace, God's kindness, His loving kindness. I think you get the idea. You see, it is all that God is wrapped up in a character quality, and this particular word is used in describing David twice over than any other person in Scripture. It is used about David and said that David exercised this quality, this virtue, more than any other person twice over. David sang about it more than anyone else, talked about it more than anyone else, and it followed him all the days of his life according to Psalm 23. The word in verse 21 is the word that I want to introduce you to today and we'll talk about many times in the months ahead. It is the word chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, not chesed, but chesed. It's a guttural sound, chesed, and it is spelled C-H-E, and it looks like the E has a little rooftop on it, S, another E with a little rooftop on it, D, chesed. It is the word that has all of these great, loving, kind, gracious, merciful virtues all wrapped up in one. As a matter of fact, hesed is the key word for charity in the Hebrew language in modern Hebrew. I asked a rabbi in Israel years ago when I was working on my doctoral dissertation that I wrote about this word, hesed. I asked him, what is hesed? He said, oh, that is a tremendous word. I said, can you tell me what it means? He said, I'm not sure anyone can tell you what it really means. But he said, it is a character that is wrapped up in the divine. He said, it is so selfless. It is an act that you do towards someone expecting nothing in return. That's one aspect of it. He said, in that regards, charity, true charity, in his belief system, was an act that you could only have true hesed, that is, not be expecting something in return for what you've done, that the only way you can truly perform Hesed is for someone who's already dead and you do something in their name for their descendants and that person who is dead could never repay you. That's the idea of it being so others oriented. That's the word that describes who Jesus is. That's the word who describes who King David is, a man after God's own heart. And we'll discuss that with all of your questions when we get to David's life and to the passages in Samuel that talks about a man after God's own heart.
But for now, I want you to see that this particular word, hesed, is a divine word that deals with the very nature of God himself. And King David, when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, he said, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word that's translated follow is translated two other ways in the popular King James Version of the Bible. It's translated chase after and hotly pursue. Now, let me read that verse to you. Let me quote that verse to you once again and not use the tame follow, but the way it's translated other places, chase after and hotly pursue. King David said, surely the goodness and the chesed of God will hotly pursue me all the days of my life. And because of that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely the goodness and the chesed of God will chase after me, hotly pursue me all the days of my life, and surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, we're going to make it to heaven not because we're chasing God, but because God is chasing us. He will not let us go. He is hotly pursuing us as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.